Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. This is Bird, Craig, and Farnan. Uh, still figuring out the name, but more importantly, we just wanted to talk and there's a lot of issues to talk about. We'll figure out the name later. Um, and we just wanted to get together because there's obviously um, a lot of tough stuff going on in the world right now. And uh, the three of us uh, lived together for a couple years at BC. Uh, I think I can say we're kind of like brothers, so we have a real brotherhood. And I, as you know, a white person, really wanted to engage my friends and, and see how I can create dialogue and how we can talk through it and how we can all gain an understanding of one another. So hopefully, whoever's watching this, friends of one of the three of us, or loves BC basketball, Boston College, uh, many of the teams that these guys played for. I did not play for any teams since high school. Um, but these two guys in particular have touched a lot of lives and, and we just wanted to have a dialogue here because I think that's really important right now. So, um, thanks to both of you guys for joining and, uh, looking forward to having a good dialogue here. Thanks Farnan. Uh, definitely thank you for providing the opportunity. I'm excited, um, to get on here and share my ideas. Obviously it's great to be back with my roommates. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I, maybe at some other time, I think we could also talk about a lot more fun stuff too, because uh, we, you know, we have a lot of great memories. But I think today we want to talk mostly more about the serious stuff. And uh, I think from time to time, our banter and friendship will come through too. But ultimately, we want to talk about um, you know serious, meaningful stuff right now. So let's dive right into that. A lot of things we can cover today. So. For both of you guys, um, it would be really interesting for everyone, I think, to hear like where you grew up. Talk about where you grew up, like what was fun, what was dangerous or scary, and like when you think about your memories from growing up, what are they mostly about? Take it, Craig. All right. Well, me, I, I grew up in the inner city of Los Angeles, California. Um, me and my family moved around in different parts. Um, I lived around in Compton for a little bit. I lived in South Central for a little bit. And um, when I got older, we stayed in um, West LA, mid-city area. Um, growing up for me was a, was a little bit different. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people don't know this about me, but I, I grew up with a lot of gang infestation within my family. Um, at an early age, my brother, when I was eight years old, my brother got shot in the head, but ended up surviving. And I think for me, it just always put me in a position where I wanted to be an inspiration to my peers and to um, to people around me in my community because I see it was um, it was a lot of uh, just negativity going around. And basketball was uh, was a big outlet for me. Um, gave me a chance to do something that I that I ended up loving to do. Not only that, I mean, I've got to travel all over the world and um, really share my experiences with the young youth generation in which I do now. But I think um, basketball just really saved me in a sense because it gave me something to do. It gave me something to focus on. Um, it gave me goals to achieve. It gave me a, a, a sense of having understanding to know that I needed to do certain things in order to play the game of basketball and um, just while I was growing up in, in, the, in the inner city I, I mean there were certain situations where I could have been torn into different situations 
um, obviously from from my family and and from some of my um, my friends who you know I grew up with. But um, at the same time, uh, it was I felt like it was something that overall just really forced me to do something. I think in a positive light, and um, I'm very thankful for that because I don't really know if I didn't have those opportunities or if I didn't get faced with basketball, I don't know what I would have done just because of the surrounding of, you know, what my family was in and, and different things like that. But just having the opportunity and having like my mom put us in a different position um, to where we got to live and see different areas, I think just really helped me overall. And I think that's what helped me um, with, uh, with, with going to BC and being able to adjust out there um, just because I had to make, you know, a lot of adjustments from, from different areas. So for me, my life has always been an adjustment that I felt like I've always had to um, have to have a quick understanding or, or just to be able to catch on quick. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about just me growing up, you know, in a, in a, in a big city of LA, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, as for myself, I can probably, it's crazy. I could probably just say next question and just say the same thing Craig just said. Um, and it's, it's crazy because I know things about Craig that a lot of people don't know just from being roommates for four years and like pretty much been like every fucking second of the day. Sorry. Um, but you know, it's the same story with, on a different coast. Um, I grew up, you know, initially in Washington, D.C. Um, I spent a lot of times at my grandma's and my aunt's just because of the things that were going on around my family. Um, you know, once my mom kind of got her footing and uh, like my dad was in and out of jail and my dad also had a lot of enemies um, for some of the things that he was into. So, um, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to understand like he wasn't there because he didn't want to be there. He wasn't there because, you know, he didn't want people to know where he lived. He didn't want people to know where his kids stayed um, and all this kind of stuff. So for most of my life, I grew up without a father, like, um, and he, you know, whenever he could, where he felt it was safe, he'd stop in or, or meet us over here or, you know, stuff like that. He'd drop money off, you know, things like that. But he was in and out of jail and um, and like I said, you know, the way his lifestyle was going and the way my uncles and my cousins who are older than me, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't positive. Um, you know, I can, not something, definitely not a badge of honor, but most of my cousins older than me, I haven't been to a funeral where, you know, somebody's died of natural causes. Like that hasn't happened for me yet. Um, you know, all my uncles, you know, my father has four brothers One's in jail for life, the others, they've been killed. Um, so um, same with my cousins, all my cousins that have passed away for me up until this point, they've been killed, like they haven't just passed away. Um, so, you know, like I said, my dad was in and out of jail. I moved to Oxon Hill, Maryland, which, you know, I rep like no other um, in a neighborhood called Glass Manor. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where I, you know, gained my footing and, kind of, you know, learned about life, learned, you know, grew to love for basketball. And so home wasn't always easy, but um, like I said, once my mom got things together, you know, 
like it was it was it was all uphill from there and i'm you know that's why i always say my mom's my hero because i know what we had to overcome to get for me to even go to college you know so um you know you know that's pretty much my upbringing yeah thanks for sharing that and yeah i was fortunate enough to get to know both of your families um a good amount during during college and um that that was really great i guess one quick follow-up is you know Based on what both you guys said, there's obviously like tough neighborhoods. And I think a lot of what we're talking about now is like, what is the cause of that? And I think a lot of it goes to like the idea of opportunity and, you know, uh, there's certain cycles of things that happen. So do you guys have any particular thoughts on that? Because it's like this stuff doesn't just happen out of nowhere, right? You know? No, I mean, for me, it's funny. I'm actually, throughout the quarantine, I'm actually learning more about my family. Like, there's so much that you just go throughout life. I mean, there's people who have come in and out. I'm thinking these people are my friends. And as of, like, this week, I'm finding out where we were family. And I'm like, well, why, how come no one said anything? And it's just the way it is. Um, so in finding all of that out, this actually happened. My dad's still working throughout the quarantine, um, thankfully. And he has about a 45 minute ride to work. We just started talking like, I wanted to know, like, you know, the first time you went to jail, the first, you know, what happened? And, you know, I'm finding out some things that I understand why I was hidden from me, but um, I'm now turning that into, and Craig, you'll love this. I'm turning that into a, a, a show. Um, a TV series because again it's crazy but just to give you a little bit of background of my family and trust me all none of this I knew like um, my family's from North Carolina um, my granddad was the light heavyweight contender the light heavyweight contender of the world um, he was at 1.40 and nine. And if you know, like back in the forties and fifties, you fight everybody. There's not, you don't get to handpick your, <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't, it's not like a Floyd Mayweather situation. Oh. So to be 40 and nine, you like, you were pretty good. Um, so now I'm doing my Googles and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, this dude was fighting in Madison square garden. He was fighting in, you know, Miami Coliseum. He was fighting in what they call the Griffith Stadium, which is where the Redskins used to play. Well, I didn't even know that existed, you know. By the time I was around, it was RFK Stadium. And just in Vegas. So I'm like, hold on, this dude was legit. And then, like, I'm now I'm pulling up excerpts. I'm like, wait, he fought Rocky Marciano. He fought, like, just these different people that I know about, but no one's ever told me about my grandfather, you know, and what he's done. <laughs> Story short, back in those days, um, there's a lot of people involved in the money. You know, these are African-Americans coming from North Carolina, South Carolina. You know, they're not the, you know, most uh, educated people at this time. He ends up getting basically flagged for tax evasion because somebody, his manager, did something with the money. It had nothing to do with him. And he had to flee to Cuba. My grandma, and you can look this up, around that same time contracts a disease called Wilson's disease, which they still, this was in the 50s, 60s, they still haven't found a cure for it. Um, you know, and it's like one of the rare, like you have a better chance of hitting the lottery than you do of catching Wilson. Um, so when my, my father was born, 
to a hospitalized mom, which meant my mother, my grandmother couldn't leave the hospital for five to six years. She could not leave. So he was born to that and a father that's in Cuba. So it was him being born straight to the orphanage. The rest of it, and he's the youngest of, of seven. So they're all off to the orphanage. They're all off to the orphanage. And if you know Wilson's like my grandmother, Craig, you've seen my grandmother. She moves really slow. She talks really slow. That's what Wilson does to you. Um, so they had to fend for themselves with no father, a mom who can't work, barely get around, barely talk. Now I'm talk, now I'm listening to him and he's telling me at in, in elementary school as a nine, 10 year old, he was responsible for breakfast. Meaning he's got to go out, whatever you got to do to bring breakfast back, that's what you have to do. And so he was like, you know, he learned to steal. He learned to, you know, he'd hang around the grocery stores and swipe bags and, you know, because it was his responsibility. Meaning while his older brothers, have to go do something more dangerous. My uncle that I was telling you guys, like my uncle's been in jail since he was 16, he's 70 now. Got locked up for robbing banks. That's what he did to bring money home. And I'm, now I'm reading up about him. The newspaper says he's a mastermind. So that's what, that's, that's, that's the lineage. And that's what those guys, I'm, I'm just speaking from my own background, but like you're saying is circumstances, you know, that's an extreme circumstance. You know, no parent, you know, seven kids, and they're all right after each other. Like, you know, that's how it was in those days. So I now that I see it, you know, I used to have a lot of anger with my father, but now that I see it, I'm like, he didn't have many options. You know? Man, it's 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 crazy and, and it's so true like that, because it's like I had to do some of my own research and I kind of did an ancestry. Um, swap. What I ended up finding out after that was I was related to Frederick Douglass. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> 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 the first black man in the White House, you feel me? And then I kind it kind of trickled down because it's just like my, my grandfather on my dad's dad was a cop. First and foremost, he was a cop, and he was a cop in between, um, I think, like the in the late '40s, in between the early '60s. And to me, that shit's mind-boggling because there's certain ways you can only be a police officer. You know what I'm saying? But he wasn't. I mean, my dad's my dad's light-skinned, so his his dad is light-skinned as well. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like that different ish or whatever and i'm gonna be honest i didn't meet my granddad until um 2009 at one of my uncle's funerals you know what i'm saying so i kind of already knew what type of person he was because he was already married and in another relationship so my dad was 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 born out of out of a well you know what i'm saying like they were they weren't married so I feel like there's some things like within that, that I feel like that's why maybe like when I was earlier, like the same things was happening to me. Like sometimes it feels like it's a, it's, it's a history thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just like a circle that's keep continuing to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. But I think my dad has done a great job of 
of breaking that cycle. Obviously, my grand my grandfather is no longer here, but at the same time, I felt like I didn't really get a lot of history from him. And when you talk about um, outcomes and stuff like that, it's just like in in LA, I know for sure. I know like this in the DC because you just talked about it. It was like. It was almost like the X-Files because all the dads were basically out the house. When you think about all the 80s babies growing up who are, who are African-American, most of their fathers were not around like that. You know what I'm saying? It's a very, very low number. And it's just like, it's just certain things that cause that. Like, well, for instance, for, for my dad, because he was, you know what I'm saying, um, a, a, a starter of a, of a gang to where they had to protect their neighborhoods because some of the police would come in there and and start, you know, rioting or, you know, fucking up the neighborhood. So they decided to, you know, make sure they got a group of guys who protected the neighborhood. Now it's turned into something differently now throughout the world. But I mean, initially for what it was supposed to be, it was supposed to protect your own neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? So then we have that. We have the, you know, the drugs in the community. Now these are different factors now where you seeing more, more um, dads trying to go through other things, you know what I'm saying? Because it's just like, like Bird said, you gotta, if he's responsible for breakfast, he gotta go out and get breakfast by any means necessary. So it's like, how are you supposed to survive and live if you don't have those many opportunities? You kind of got to do what you can. That's when it kind of becomes like a hunger game. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's just yeah. like, I I know I didn't, I, I said that once I had it, once I have a kid, I wouldn't kind of be in that position because I feel like I would definitely need to be, you know what I'm saying, around my kids to try to teach them and have them understand our history. You know what I'm saying? Because we kind of get taught two histories. You know what I'm saying? We get taught that school history. And then on our own and within our family, we have to learn our own history of just who we are as a people. You know what I'm saying? And our own um, bloodline. You know what I'm saying? And not only that, just from how, you know, things started. You won't, you won't necessarily get that in school because they give us one month for Black History Month. And we got to read a couple books and then it goes from there. But it, there's more history than that. World's been around for a long, long time. And, you know, we, we want to understand. And I think just by keeping us without knowing our history, it puts us in a, in a certain situation where we're striving to learn. And it's either you got us who are striving to learn and striving to be better and you have some who just don't care and just are, are lost because I feel like the most important thing is if we can learn from our history of things, then we can be better in certain situations and we won't have to repeat certain things that continue to loop within our community over and over again. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I know, Craig, you mentioned it quickly there about police, law enforcement. So a lot, you know, a lot of tough things going on right now with law enforcement and, and the black community. So I'd be curious to know, other than your grandfather, Craig, if you guys have any other family that are involved in law enforcement and what your interactions over time, good or bad, have been like with law enforcement. My uncle was a, was a sheriff um, for many years, 
I've had a good friend that I grew up with that I played in my first league with. He's become a cop and really trying to do good things in the community. Um, there's a there's a big love and hatred. Like I can't front because I've been on the other side of situations where I've gotten harassed by the police. And I don't do shit wrong. Like I'm pretty a, a simple, chill and laid back guy. But you know, being that it's the color of my skin, I'm always a threat. And I've, I've had these conversations, especially as being an older man now, especially like with my uncle about these things. And I feel like he has, um, he has some scars from it too, because he had to deal with some of that system, systematic racism within there too. And I know my uncle's a good guy and he's always tried to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, like for me, it's just like, I don't understand. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand how you really became a cop when they didn't really want us to be cops. You know what I'm saying? But I felt like since time progressed on, they had to make sure that they got a, you know, a certain amount or a certain number of people, you know, which now I feel like it's totally, it should be totally different, but it still has those, same um, same weird ass guidelines like there's some things that i read in textbooks that say when if you were in back in the day if you were trying to be a, a sheriff or something like that in the state of texas you had to be kkk certified so within those within those those lines it's just it's it's just weird you know and i feel like you do have those good guys who are in the office, but sometimes they don't say shit. They don't call people out for what it is, maybe because they get bullied or something like that. But I feel like it's just a really tough situation. And sometimes we do have difficult talks, um, but I know all, all cops aren't bad, but it's just like, I'm sick and tired of seeing these cops abuse their authority, you know what I'm saying? And really try to harm people especially people that I see of my skin complexion who could easily be me at many different times. I mean, there were situations where, I mean, I've got a gun pulled out on me and I had to lay on the ground where I felt like I was on, my life was almost taken for something that was really, really silly. It wasn't like I was um, stealing or anything like that, you know what I'm saying? But I'm a guy who's black, who's big as hell and got a hoodie on, so I'm considered a threat. Um, yeah, so for me, um, my younger brother's a sheriff, um, and he works in a prison. Um, I have two of my closest cousins, like some of these houses that I've mentioned having to live in, both of them are sheriffs. I mean, sorry, both of them are armed guards for the DC government. Um, and I got a couple high school teammates who are now, uh, police officers as well. Um, as far as my interactions, I'll say, you know, like I said, similar to Craig, like growing up and being like really in those neighborhoods, like there is no escape. Like my experiences were really bad. And I would say it sucks to say, but most of my worst experiences probably came between the ages of 12 to 15. Um, you know, I could give you a few instances. Um, as a 12 year old, I'm watching someone else get arrested and the cop comes behind me, put the gun in my head, like, don't move. Like, I ain't got anything to do. I'm a hundred yards away from these guys up the street getting arrested. And he does that to me. Um, you know, then in those neighborhoods, you have older guys who they got stripes, 
they got, you know, like no one's doing anything to them without a fight. So when you can't do something to them, and then you see me walking down the street, you know, I get thrown on the ground. You know, I remember one time, um, and you know, in my neighborhood, I didn't move much, like once I got into my neighborhood. So my last name in itself was a problem. So for me, and this is stuff that I'm now sharing with you guys, because I, I vowed that I wouldn't bring it to Boston College. Um, like I had another last name that I had to use if I ever run into the cops as like growing up. I learned that as a nine, 10 year old, like say this if a cop ever, because if you go with the other one, then it's not gonna be a good experience for you. And that's all based on my dad and his brothers and you know, all the stuff that they did growing up. Um, but then as I got older, um, I would say like once I got to BC, like, you know, I didn't really have much. And I think a lot of that people are finding out today that the police thing, yes, there are definitely some racist components to it, but it's also classism. Because you have a lot of white people, Asian people out there marching right now, and they're viewing it more so as this is a poor people's thing versus they don't think that there's rich, wealthy people downtown protesting and marching. So they got no problem slamming you either, right? I think people are starting to find that out that, and I feel that way now. When I got to BC and the, the look of it or the appearance is that I'm one of these guys, I'm a Boston College guy now, you know? They're not really, I got no problems. You know, once I play basketball, I'm in the ACC, I'm in the Big East, they see me on TV. I'm good now, right? But when I go back to my community, you know, I, and I remember days going back. Now we get to fly home. My first day back, I go around my neighborhood. Police jumped out on me. Three cars. Box me in. Who are you? Like, I'm, I grew up here. Like, I've just been gone for the last eight months or so. Like, but, you know, that's just what it is. Like, you just never know. Like, you know, and you just learn how to maneuver around that. You learn how to suppress the pain. You learn how to, you know, Mentally, like you start to feel like it just comes with the territory. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Those are those are good points. Um, I think you you got into it a little bit, but going beyond just like the the law enforcement part of it. So as you mentioned, like both you guys are very tall black guys, so very like noticeable. Um, have you been in situations where, uh, not again, not law enforcement, just like citizens, non-black people have ran away or confronted you out of reactive fear that had really no basis? And if so, like, if you could have like frozen time in that moment, like, what would you have tried to get across about yourself to those people? Well, while you think, Craig, I'll jump in. Um, I definitely, you know, there's been, when we talk about the police, there's definitely been instances where all you gotta do is talk to me. Like, what you need me to do? You need me to move over here? But you approach me with your, like you pull your stick out. And I don't know, maybe that's because I'm tall, you know, I, you know, obviously we, we athletes, so I lift weights. Like, I'm not a little dude that you could just throw around, but I don't want any of them problems anyway. But that's how you approach me with aggression. Um, you know, maybe because I'm, you know, bigger than the average person. And then on, on, a, on a citizen's aspect, I can even go 
as recent as, you know, my current employment, um, you know, it's, it's my job to advocate for players and things like that and try to get our guys as much as they can get. And, you know, just to give an example of how that, you know, what I mean, if Craig or I had an issue with housing or our meal cars didn't work or something like that on campus, we're calling a coach, a coach is getting that sorted out. That's how it goes. Right. So same thing happened with, with one of my guys one time, um, for whatever reason, you know, our guys on full scholarship, somebody's trying to tell them they won't have housing. So um, I go to the office like, hey, such and such is on um, you know, full scholarship. He's already signed up for housing. Um, someone told him you won't have housing. What's going on? No, he won't have housing. He's going to have to live off campus. Listen, I understand you have a job to do, but that's not how this is going to go. Like our kids on campus is going to have housing. Next thing I know, by the time I get back to my office, it became one of your coaches jumped in my face. He was aggressive. He was, and I'm like, oh, wait, what? Like, and I literally probably didn't get within 20 feet of this person. There's desk and encounters to, you know, so I'm like, is <clears throat> she felt that way, but there is some internal fear there if you feel like I jumped in your face or or maybe you're just going to try to make me out to be the bad guy here I don't know but that happened you know as recently as you know two or three years ago so I, it's, it's embedded in people when you know for whatever that that fear or whatever you want to call it I think it's an easy cop-out to say yeah the big black guy was being aggressive you know and, and most people are going to go with that yeah, man, there's so many situations like that that I feel like I've been in, too, just where I guess they're called the Karens, right? They're called the Karens, and it's just it's just really unfortunate because, like Bird said, like, it's that internal fear. What makes you think – you don't even know me, first and foremost. <laughs> what, what gives you that idea that I'm just trying to harm you when I'm not even in your way or trying to even be in your lane? You know what I'm saying? I remember I was one time at the store. It wasn't a girl. It was actually a guy. And so this this white dude just walks and kind of looks at me. You know, I don't pay no attention. But I see this fool kind of following me. You know what I'm saying? So I had to be, you know, like, you know, what the hell is your problem? You know what I'm saying? And all I heard, and then <laughs> the dude goes, man, I don't want, I don't want any trouble. I don't want to go to jail. The f the the F? What you mean you don't feel like you don't want to go to jail? You know what I'm saying? So it's just like we run into different instances like that all the time for some reason and not having any understanding. But I guess people just have some type of hatred in their heart where when they look at somebody uh, who doesn't look like them or isn't familiar with them, um, I don't know, gets gets angered by it, you know what I'm saying? And and that only has to do to something deeper, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just really, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't even have no words for it because I just feel like that shit is just very unnecessary. And it makes you just look more of an ugly person by going out and doing this. Like, what's going on in your life that you have to deflect from your life and try to enter somebody else's and control their narrative. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just uncalled for. But, I mean, 
this shit, it goes, it happens every day almost in the United States, mm. you know? And, and, and far, you know, right, I think um, an offspring of that is, I probably guarantee you that, I mean, you've been with, we, we lived together for three years, like we were always together. I guarantee you in this last 20 minutes, you found out a ton of stuff you never knew. Um, and that's just based on the fact that because of these encounters, these interactions, these how people perceive us, we get to we get to places where we may not be the majority and we have to suppress it all. Like, I cannot let these people know that my dad is an active, like, I don't want to say gang member because we don't do the gang thing on the East Coast. I know they do that on the West Coast, but yeah, my, my dad's active out here. And like, I can't talk about that. Like, or I can't, that's why you see, um, especially with our team, like, that raw emotion on the court. You have to let it out somewhere. It's gotta go somewhere, right? And I'm spending my whole day trying to suppress who I am. You know, not that I'm violent or anything like that, but I had, like, there's a lot that come with how I got here. And I share that with anybody, you know, other than Craig in a room. And, you know, a lot of times it didn't even come from me telling him or him telling me, it would be him getting on the phone with his boys back home. You know, now I feel like Bear, like Bear's my man, or Donnell's my man, or you know what I mean? Like, that's he knows my friends, Gino and Derek and all those guys. Like, and now you, I'm like, I hear all the West Coast McCray talk because me and him had our own lingo. Like, we could talk without anybody ever knowing what we're saying. And then the West Coast comes out when he gets on the phone. And then when I start talking, <laughs> the way we talk back home is coming out when I get on the phone, and, like, we just picking it up. And, um, but again, that's because. We spend probably eight, nine hours at a day trying to keep it down. Like, you know what I mean? Keep it down, you know, until we get around back to the room, you know, stuff like that. Trying to fit in, trying to make this thing work. Because you don't want to get sent back to the hood or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, yeah. There were, there's been a lot of things we talked about here that I did not know. So, uh, but I, I get that. Um, and speaking of kind of like when you guys and I, like we all came to BC the same year, 2002, we spent most of our time together the last two years. But um, when I went to BC, it was a big adjustment for me. Um, but I assume much more so for you guys. So a couple of questions around that. I guess, first of all, like how, what was it like to move to like not only Boston, um, as a city and then BC and try and get adjusted to an atmosphere that was, I'm sure, very different from where you grew up. Yeah, it was, it was very different, but I think um, for me, I, I had a little bit of practice the year before, you know what I'm saying? Going to Worcester was my, my ultimate culture shock because yes, I was coming from a city that's very diverse, majority of my friends are black. I have white friends, but majority of my friends are black and majority of the people who I see around me are the black, Spanish, you know what I'm saying? So to come into a school that was predominantly white, yeah, it was a culture shock because it's just like, I don't know this life like this, you know? These kids coming up in these brand new cars, driving them up to the school, you know, having their own lingo. And to me, it was just a totally different world, but you know, because it was only eight to 10 students who were black, I believe. 
Majority of them were on the basketball team, you know? So just seeing that and seeing how we were really um, the minorities on campus. Um, and I felt like there were certain things that I felt like I got in trouble for that I wouldn't normally be getting in trouble for, you know? Um, by like, you know, when I came from Fairfax, like sometimes, yes, I was maybe a minute or two late to class, but that's okay, I'm just tardy. In their mind, I got work detail. I got to clean up. You know what I'm saying? Something that I felt wasn't cool, but I mean, it was what it was. So like my year at Worcester definitely prepared me um, for being in the classes and, and possibly being the only black kid in the class, you know? But being able to go in there and compete, you know, because sometimes, you know, especially when you're an athlete, you're always getting told you're not the smartest. But I always took that as a challenge because, you know, I just know I just believe in myself. But um, I think my experience was different than Bird because I think for Bird, it hit Bird. You know what I'm saying? It hit Bird. And for me, I had a little bit of that practice the year before. So it, was, it wasn't as bad. You know what I'm saying? And, and it was on campus more, so it was a little bit more Black people than at Worcester, you know? So I felt like I was, I was more prepared in the sense to, to, to not have that culture shock initially as, as my fellow. And I think that's why it worked out for us roommates, because it was just be, you know, if, if Burr was having a tough time, I'd be there to, you know, have a conversation with him, you know what I'm saying? Or we can have a conversation with each other if something that we didn't like during the day, you know what I'm saying, had happened or, or whatever, or it's just like, man, this school ball, like, man, it's, it's tough. You know what I'm saying? Wherever we were able to, you know, um, confide into each other. And I think that was one of the biggest things and one of the, the biggest helpful things because it was just like, we could have just easily been one and done as roommates, but we say roommates the whole time. And I think that just goes on. Um, our connection, our communication, you know what I'm saying? Because we didn't always have the best of days. We had arguments where we would leave, we leave, we left like $30 worth of juice on the table. Just <laughs> we came out of a hard practice and we was just, you know, it's just, we see each other every day, you know what I'm saying? So we have those tough days, but majority of those days, we had really good days where we communicated um, and we just, tried them we made the best out of it and we had fun and i think you know when you think back i didn't really get those many opportunities with other people like that and, I, and bird is a very special guy dear to my heart because of that because it's just like that was my last roommate ever you know and this is a really great guy that i said like man i can go and we me and bird can go on a vacation and we can go chill you know what i'm saying because we have that type of of relationship and i think that's just what made it easier for us down the line is that we had a we had a real brotherhood in a, in a very unknown situation yeah um like i said just piggybacking off craig um first of all just going to boston like before i had a chance actually i met craig on my visit they had him come up on my visit it was notre dame game stevie was there stevie haley jared jack was there so we had, I had a good time. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be with this dude. Like, you know, if I come here, um, but, but for the most part, again, coming from my circumstances, like I was happy the fact that somebody, I could play high major basketball, I'm there. Like, that's just kind of how I felt. 
um, you know, as far as the um, everything I had heard leading up to it, like a, a bunch of the older black guys in my community was like, are you going to Boston? There's racist as hell up there and all this kind of stuff. Like, you had anybody that was at least 25 years old was saying, oh, you going to Boston? Like, that's racist as hell up there and all this type of stuff. So, um, but like it's that first year, just having Craig to help me because Craig, he, he's outgoing, you know, like he's, he's going to find, you know, p- people gravitate to him. He's going to find the fun, you know, and I would say first semester, I didn't even leave the room. Like I went to class, went to practice and I went back to the room. It was a complete culture shock for me, even from the music, you know, where I'm from, we listen to go-go music like all day long. So going to parties and they're playing rap music and reggae, I'm like, what is this? Um, I had never, I remember the conversation, it sounds dumb now, but I'm like, Craig, like, what do I say to the white girls? Like, you know, like, <laughs> what do I say? Like, so he's like, say what you want to say. I wouldn't have known either. So, <laughs> 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 so I'm like, I mean, you know, he kind of helped me with that because, again, he had been to Worcester. He was just more comfortable in those situations where this was my first time. Like, I never had to interact with white people. Every school I've been to, all my classrooms had been all black until I got to Boston College. And um, But, again, like I said, without Craig and eventually getting me out and at least we had a circle of friends, like whether they were black, white, Asian, like Hong is, like, like those was my boys. So it didn't, you know, like we all got cool. And I, and I, I 100% know that wouldn't have happened without Craig because I would have stayed in the room. Like I would have just went to class, went to practice and went back to the room. I had all the video games back then. So I was, I was good. Like I was straight. Yeah. And all that food. <laughs> One other factor that was big for us as well was OTE, where we got to know everybody um, who was black or just from a different culture who was non-white. I think that was that was pivotal too because we got to understand who's going to be on campus, especially um, our grade. So that was pretty cool, and 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 getting to know some of the other upperclassmen students who had came in to help. I think it was was really helpful because we got really cool with the upperclassmen being underclassmen. And I think that goes a long way too by we having time to reflect in um, in OTE. So we got to give a shout out to uh, Thea Bowman. Thea Bowman. (laughs) Um, You know who Thea Bowman is, Farnan? I do because (laughs) I hear a lot of emails about uh, things going on at BC. So Yeah. yeah. And, and I will say this, I know we'll get into this later, but, you know, that program in itself, you know, when you think about Boston College, at least when I think about Boston College, you're thinking high intellectuals, wealthy, um, white. And that program, it gave inner city kids or people who somebody believed in. Yeah. I have these numbers that you guys are looking for because, like I said, Farnan and I, like, we, we've had arguments over SAT scores and all types of stuff when we were in college, but my circumstances was that of all the stuff I just told you, you think I'm going home to study for the SAT? 
You know, you think I got time for that? Like, you know, or, you know, or, yeah. Or is the school even even uh, showing you the proper way of, you know, those practices of what's going to be on the SAT? Right. I mean, like for me coming in um, at Fairfax and I went into the SAT and I came out and I looked at my mom and I was just like, yo, whatever was on that test, I've never seen that ever in my life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's coming from the inner city. So I know, Bird, you feel the same way about that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like the way that they were putting it to us, no one ever said, you know, you need to go try to get a 1200. It was, I had a good GPA. So they say, you need an 820. I got a 980. Like, I'm done. Do you know what I mean? I'm done. Girl, I'm done. I'm Boston done. College said they were taking Now, there were some other schools that were like, we'd like you to take the test. DC told me they taking it. I'm done. Like, I will never take that test again. Four hours of my Saturday morning, it's a wrap. <laughs> like, because <laughs> sometimes I feel like that's a waste of time because it feel like, it's some people who've done a phenomenal job on that test, never graduated from college, you know, or couldn't compete in college, you know? So it's just like. And, and again, I say like the OTE program, because that was full of kids who did not necessarily meet the criteria that Boston College was looking for. But I can't recall anyone dropping out. This was just somebody in the community saying, man, this kid is special. But. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot going on, which is why he may not have the numbers. Like, he's dealing with a whole lot of other things. Yeah. You know, like I said, those kids came in and showed that we're just as smart and intellectual as anybody else here. And, you know, it, it showed. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question. But I think you guys kind of covered of, like, did you feel academically prepared going into BC? Because I think, yeah, I think the answer is no. And. I, like, I personally, I mean, I didn't hang out with you guys as much the first two years, but uh, I know you've said it was, like, a really hard adjustment, but I feel like over the last two years, I feel like you guys grew a lot in that respect, and you graduated, and, like, you know, as adults now, you're, you know, uh, great representatives of Boston College, so even, like, in four years, you kind of make up for it, because, like, I mean, I was in, like, gifted and talented class when I was in first grade. So mm-hmm. I actually got like, they didn't have people, there were a few of us, they didn't have people to teach. They, nobody in the school was qualified to teach the level of like math or whatever. Um, so like, I, you know, again, for me, there were certain things that were kind of, you know, destined in that respect. Um, where, and uh, yeah, and I think the other thing with like BC or any big school is like, I'll, this would not be me, but like, I think a lot of people come from like, you know, fancier private schools, like Craig, you probably saw it in prep school, um, where like, like a majority of the people go to like big colleges that like my high school is very good, but not, not like that. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine trying to like, you know, play, you know, play catch up. And even like, for me, I went after college to like a really good business school. And I feel like, the honors program I was in at BC was actually probably harder. So BC is not a joke. Like when you watch games on ESPN and you see what the majors are at BC, it's not like it's, there's no like easy programs to go through. So, um, 
yeah, I do think it's, you know, it was good that you guys were able to, uh, you know, dive right in with OT and stuff like that and not be corrupted by Hung too much. <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, I was going to say, and, and, and even speaking on that, like just talking about the experiences and um, I was in tag too, talented and gifted. Like, you know, I, that's how I ended up going. I didn't go to my neighborhood school, so I had to get shipped out and that's how I could do it. For one, my mom wouldn't let me go to neighborhood school because it was a bad school. Not, I'm not gonna say a bad school. A lot of stuff was happening in there. Um, so I was in tag as well, and that was the only way I could get shipped out to somewhere else, and a bus would actually come pick me up. Um, but in getting there, I did, I would say this, I felt I could do the work. I felt academically like I could do the work. And it was, you know, Craig and I kind of went differently. Like, I came in killing, like, because I didn't leave the room. And, you know, anything that Dar, Dar was our academic advisor had, like I was in it. So I remember like my first two semesters, I'm on, I'm on honor roll or the dean's list or whatever. And then Dart says, ah, oh, Lewis is fine. Take him off tutoring. He doesn't need all that, right? Meanwhile, Craig was comfortable when he first got in. So he was already into the social stuff. He was going to parties. He was having, he was enjoying his college experience. Sophomore year, I get comfortable. Craig gets serious about school. <laughs> and he's like studying, studying. Like, I mean, I'm coming in the room. I mean, he's got books laid out. He's got his girl there, like notes everywhere. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm trying to come in and play Madden. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and then his started going through the roof and then mine's went down. Like, I remember that, me going on academic probation, and it was, like, embarrassing for me, you know, because for the most part, throughout my life, like, I was an honor roll student, and, you know, I, you know, started to gain my foot, and so, but I would say this, even though I felt prepared, I still didn't feel comfortable enough to raise my hand and share my experiences in front of people that didn't look like me. Um, that was the one thing that it took me, took me a while to get, like, and I and it took me sitting back and sometimes hearing other people's answers and being like, you didn't just say that out your mouth. Like, this dude is not smarter than me. Like, he's not more intelligent than me. And I had to gain that confidence by, you know, just going to class, going to class. Sometimes the teacher would say the answer, and I'm like, I had that written down. Like, why didn't I say it? You know what I'm saying? And like I know this stuff, but I wouldn't say it because I was embarrassed of not coming off intelligent to the rest of the class yeah no that makes sense um yeah i uh i don't know right yeah i just remember uh i i never followed exactly like what your guys grades were or whatever i just remember graduation day was a good day for all of us so that was yeah. good we put in work though junior and senior year too though we put in work junior and senior year like we we made it our duty to be on the honors list, especially mm -hmm. being upperclassmen. We felt it was our duty. Cause it was like, what the fuck, what, what are we here for? You know what I'm saying? I know we're here to hoop, but we got this hell of an opportunity, you know what I'm saying? To really go out here and shine in these classrooms and compete at a really high level. So it's just like the thing Burr wasn't doing, he ended up doing for sure, for sure. Later, um, you know, when we were going into our junior and senior year, for sure. Yeah. Um, last question on the BC front is, um, 
I think you touched on a little bit, but what we're outside of basketball, I know we, there's a lot of basketball lessons uh, for all of us from BC, but were there any like non non basketball lessons or things you really gathered from your experience at BC, you know, good or bad versus what, you know, you expected coming in or things you really took away beyond like the classroom or, or basketball? Um, I, I think critical thinking. Um, I think that's, in my opinion, that's the main, that's the main thing college is for. Um, it allows you to question things. It allows you to try to get to the bottom of things. I feel like after I left Boston College, you can't just tell me something. Like, you can't just tell me anything. You got to, like, we got to break this thing down and figure out why it is, what it is, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I would say, um, and then my um, ability to see another perspective. You know, all my life, it was only one perspective to take. The poor, poor black, like, that's all, I, that's all I had to, you know, consider. Um, that's all whose person's feelings I had to consider. So, um, you know, being, you know, having friends that didn't necessarily look like me. And even when I go back home and someone makes a comment that's totally left field because you don't even have that experience. Like my friends didn't have white friends. So, you know, for you to maybe say a, something that white people are just like, no, you know, um, that's not, not all of them. Like, I would use you all the time for an example, Farnie. And a lot of times, because we are so close, like there's been times where you can say something on my social media that some another person better not dare say, right? <laughs> you know, and even sometimes to my friends, they'd be like, hey man, somebody, you see what the dude just wrote on your wall? Man, that's Farnie, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? He good. Like, you know, don't worry about man, Farnie good. Farnie blacker than you, man. Like. <laughs> He good. He, you know, that's just how we, that's how we get down. Like, you know, yeah. when I get a chance to drop one of these white jokes, I'm going to drop it. You know what I mean? If I get another one. So, I mean, he's just doing the same. That's all. That's my man. And I think um, just those shared experiences, a lot of time in society is what people miss. You got no shared experience. So you just going off your prejudices and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And caught up in that media too, of what the media portrays as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I know for me, maybe it's something about networking with me, being able to go in a room and have different conversations um, and being confident. I think that's that started at BC, you know what I'm saying? Especially with us just being in the room and, and shooting the shit. But I felt like having conversations with people in, in different situations is, is due from what I learned at BC with just networking with my different peers who I, who I got to understand and know over the years. And I thought that to be very, very helpful, especially for me in, in, in my career, because I felt like I just ended up, they always put me on the forefront to have to speak or, you know, I have to talk, in which in the beginning, I wasn't that good of a talker. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, all, it sophomore also... Year. Sophomore year. Sophomore <laughs> year. <laughs> right? I didn't know what to say. You know what I'm saying? I was nervous, but at the same time, I felt like, damn, they had me up here saying something, so I just got to talk. But, you know, I think... I was sweating bullets, man. Sweating bullets, but it, it, prepared <laughs> me, though. it prepared me, though. And I can go into a room, honestly, now, full of like a thousand people, 
and just start giving the gift of the gap. And maybe I had to go. That was my growing pains. You feel me? Like I had to go through it. I had to get help for it because it was the only way I was going to take it upon myself to get better. You know what I'm saying? So those def those things definitely, I feel like, help me, especially for what I'm doing now. You know what I'm saying? Just to be comfortable to go in any room. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I know, and just like Bird said earlier, that people do gravitate toward me. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I got to make sure I'm on my P's and Q's as well is understanding what they're talking about, observing the room and the situations, um, knowing when to come in with, with a valid point during a conversation, you know? So I think those those things definitely. And, I mean, some things that got me surprised, I mean, being at BC, I got out a lot of speeding tickets too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we was 20 and no. Hey. <laughs> so I mean, and and that's that's what's crazy. I'm speed, I'm speeding down Commonwealth one day. Um, and I'm doing like 50 and a 30. Cop points pulls me over. Pull over. I'm like, damn, I'm about to get my first ticket out here, man. Should I just draw it? Should I just pull off? But the dude comes up. ID registration, and he has a mean mug on his face. But then he looks at my ID, sees my name, and lets me go. So I was like, wow, that's actually a perk of, like, if I would tell this to my friends right now, like, hey, I got pulled over and a cop let me out. Like, what? <laughs> like, that'll never happen to us. So it's just right. like, you got some good perks, I guess, from, from being an athlete. And, and what was crazy was, was, Yes, we knew there was racism out there, but people wasn't bringing that shit towards our way. You know what I'm saying? So it was like hard to like mask or unmask some people because you felt like everybody loved the game of basketball. We're the biggest talk in town, so we're not going to get a lot of hatred until, was that our junior or I think it was our junior year where we ran into some hatred. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I think your point with the speeding tickets like that's why i think it's important for people to like get to know each other because you were like a known person right um and under and if you're not the basketball star that probably goes very differently right probably uh, i probably get arrested yeah but i mean that was cool because i mean if i did that in la i would have probably got arrested in la because i yeah. wasn't playing out there i was playing in bc yeah yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think uh, you guys had a couple of questions for me, too. Um, yeah, we did. If you, if you don't mind, like, Farnie, what's, as far as your um, experiences, like, I'm, I'm just, this, this is going off the whim, but, you know, you come from New York. What, what was your, um, your thoughts of Boston? I know Boston College is a university, good university, but your thoughts of Boston and also your encounters. Um, do you have any stereotypes towards police? Um, your community like you know what, what's your thoughts on that yeah so i mean i don't i going certainly going way back i mean there's definitely been some racial history in boston for sure um hopefully much better these days but i don't think i don't know if i was necessarily aware of that i mean i have my mom's family's from more like the worcester area so I was definitely familiar with it and it was kind of a place I wanted to go. Um, but like going back, like my 
dad um, also for a lot of his childhood lived in an orphanage raised by nuns. There's a whole story there. Um, and he had had, you know, when he was younger, he was like in two very bad situations. One time was with, um, he, like the day after MLK got assassinated, he was um, attacked on his bike route and knocked unconscious with like a brick by a kid from the neighborhood. Um, but on the flip side, a little later, he was um, in a fender bender and it turned out the other guy was like an off-duty police officer and two of his friends. And those three guys like beat the hell out of him, like kind of like within an inch of his life. So he kind of saw both sides and he had had like really tough upbringing. He, you know, failed seventh grade, I think. So he kind of like, you know, his whole thing was like making my childhood the exact opposite. And again, we weren't like rich, like where I, where I grew up was probably like, there's very few people that are top 20% rich and very few people top bottom 20%. So it's like very much in the middle. Um, but like it was comfortable. So, I mean, I didn't really like personally, I didn't really have any interactions with police other than like the dare program at school. And like, I got in a car accident once and the police were on the scene. Right. So, um, and I have a few like relatives that are police, but you know, I didn't have a lot of experience with that. Um, so come to BC was like pretty natural for me, but I also like where I grew up, we didn't, it, um, one, I think we had like 320 people in our graduating class and maybe like 10 to 12 were black at most. Um, but I was on the basketball team with, you know, four guys from my class who were black plus, um, another guy that's, uh, part black, who's now like the most successful person from our class. Uh, and people make fun because I won most likely to be successful and Jesse is definitely more successful than I am. But, uh, <laughs> um, so like I got to know those guys really well. And I think that was like a good adjust. And like, I mean, frankly, if I didn't like black people, I don't think I would have become a basketball manager. Right. I could, there's plenty of other sports or other things I could do. So I think it, it I really valued, you know, learning other cultures and, 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 you know, different people. And I think that was something my parents really instilled in me. So I'm lucky in that way because like where my dad in particular grew up, there was a lot of like racial tension and it kind of is like some people got out of there and like had a new perspective. Some people hold those grudges on both sides, I'm sure forever. Right. Um, so I was lucky in that sense. Cause again, it, education is a lot of it. Like if you have people in your household that are telling you something, that's bad, it's probably gonna, you know, stick with you for a while. So, um, so the short answer is, yeah, I was like, I was comfortable with it, but I didn't know what, like what was gonna happen, you know, being like a basketball manager and how all that was gonna play out. So, um, and I mean, the, <laughs> I was I was not prepared to get to know Coach Skinner. <laughs> he was very different than I've ever met. But um, yeah, I mean, but I will say, the last thing I'll say is like, I remember freshman year, I got to know you guys like a little bit, obviously with the team and stuff. And then we played a couple of days with hung outside on upper. And I was like, definitely like very intimidated by you guys at first. And I don't know, there's probably a multitude of factors for that. Um, but that's where I think like, you know, now it's 
like the opposite where like I'm probably a little too comfortable like with what you said. <laughs> <laughs> like your mom called me out about something I wrote on one of your posts. It wasn't bad. It was more just like making fun of you for because it, it was making fun of you for being skinny. But I know how much you eat, so it wasn't. I I know you've been eating. You've been trying. So, <laughs> but like yeah. So I think just like it was a a much smaller level of you know, finding new things. And it like, it, it, I remember somebody told me like, no matter who you are, it's going to take you at least like six weeks to get adjusted to college. And it wound up being like almost exactly that. Cause six weeks in was the day we beat Notre Dame football and all the coaches like bear hugged me at practice. Cause I was between BC and Notre Dame and Notre Dame was like on track to win the national championship in football that year. And I was like, Oh no. Mm-hmm. And then like all the coaches bear hugged me and everything. So that, that from then on, it was good, but yeah, definitely an easier adjustment, but, you know, for, you know, if somebody looked at my background and everything, you would probably not expect, like, the stuff that, like, my dad went through or, um, you know, other things, too, because I will say, too, like, going to BCI was, like, I was always, like, really careful about my dining dollars and everything, and I want because, like, I, I, again, a lot of people do have more money. And I wasn't in that scenario and I was like really grateful for everything that, you know, came about both from the school, my parents and everything. So like I was always like <laughs> pinching pennies, trying to be really responsible. Um, and I think that served me well too, like, you know, as an adult, because um, those, that's another thing that even for me going to like a good high school, like they don't teach you a lot about like financial responsibility or stuff. And that's, you know, really important. So yeah, if you don't mind me, I got a follow up question. Uh, like, yeah. you know, for us, obviously, there's a, a lot of different factors that um, with the skin color, like that's different financial. Um, like, like you're saying, did you feel like you ran into any issues or maybe someone sniffed out that, you know, you, you know, you're not one of the, you know, people with money on campus, like he's not one of us or did you know that way or like you know I'm gonna just stay with these guys because I know like they're more similar to me but I'll say like guys like JP yeah shout out to JP um no I mean I I think I I don't think overtly certainly not I think more like the other thing that was like tougher for me because this was tough in high school too is like I didn't really drink and that there was always like I think anywhere there's kind of some level of pressure to do that um but i think and you know i've had a lot of friends that like to party and i like between being in an honors program being like the head manager of the basketball team we did the bc down the line like i was always so busy with stuff that like i didn't even really have like the energy to go out and party and do stuff that much um so i think i had to work really hard to like a lot of things in college tend to be around like parties and stuff like that. That's how you build a lot of friendships. I had to work really hard at that part. And then I was really conscious about like with you guys, basketball people, managers, people in the honors program, we took a lot of class together, building friendships that way too. Cause like at the end of the day, like you remember some things about what you learn in school. You remember a lot of things about like the memories and then the people that, you know, the friendships that you build is like a big thing too. So I, I, it was, it was different, but there were certainly like adjustments because I was very conscious about not like going out of my way to fit in with stuff I wasn't comfortable with. 
Yeah, I know. Um, I think another yeah. thing we were talking about was like, what was it like living with you guys? Uh, <laughs> so it, it was fun. I, I, again, I think even that, like when we first talked about living together, it was kind of just like, we both were in kind of a, we we're all kind of in a situation where the numbers worked out. So like we had a group of like a few guys and then we all, we all knew hung. So junior year, we had like a really diverse room. We had, you know, hung who's, uh, who's Asian. We had JP from Argentina. Um, like it was, you know, a pretty diverse group and it was, you know, a lot of fun, but like, I think when we first lived together, it was more of like, we're more like probably acquaintances. I, I mean, we were friends, but not like, tight tight and then I think over time that grew a lot so I think that was really cool and again like I think having played you know basketball growing up with um some of the guys from my town that were black and then spending a lot of time in high school with them too like it wasn't like a foreign notion to me to to know people that are different but I do feel like I again, even though you guys didn't say everything that had gone on for you, like, I feel like I learned a lot about you guys. And, um, like, it was part of, like, my whole development at BC, getting to know people of, like, you know, all different, from all different situations, including, like, around the world and everything like that. So um, I think it was good. And I think it got more, I think it got more comfortable over time because we were just, like, naturally friends and, giving each other a hard time and yeah for me I'll, I'll tell you this i think one thing that kind of helped bridge the gap was when you guys start doing those oc parties and like yeah. you would invite us and because we didn't know all your friends like yeah. but then i remember somebody started baking cookies and <laughs> i think it was maybe courtney tincher yeah um, that was courtney vegan, and then oh. i mean you can't craig can't turn down a cookie so, <laughs> so then we started like hanging out. I remember like Craig and I won a video game. We was like, man, should we ask him if we can hook the game up to the TV? Like stuff like that. Then we did and it was like, all right. Then it was like Saturday morning, like college football together. Like, and it started to come together. But I do think, obviously we're comfortable, but you know, some of our roommates, we didn't know like that. The twins, we didn't know that well. Um, yeah. But through that, and like you guys inviting all your friends over and allowing us to be a part of that, um, I think that was like huge as far as we're all just boys now. Like, yeah, yeah. you select family guy a lot. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> family guy. I think I even watched Martin a couple of times. <laughs> You tried to, to put me on the Seinfeld. I was like, Seinfeld's the white Martin. It's not happening. <laughs> but it definitely, it definitely, like, it put us into an, another side or another world to see. You know what I'm saying? And I thought that was really, really cool because we are already seeing, you know, our side of, you know, our people in OTE and stuff like that. But it kind of really put us in a diff, different realm uh, of that and viewer censorship of being on the OC, I felt like it reached across the whole campus. So it was just like, not only was we known for basketball, but we were known for being, you know, a part of the the show as well, which I felt like was, was really- Oh, the BC. Yeah, the BC. Yeah, and the BC, yeah, we, yeah. Have, we have a little both. Yeah, we got yeah. you guys 
parties were for the OC and then we had the BC, which was, yeah, I think yeah. that was cool. And I think it painted, I think it gave you guys to show personal because yeah, I think we were, I think people at BC loved like the way that you guys played and like Dudley's out there, you know, <laughs> getting teed up and all that stuff. But like, <laughs> uh, I it put a different side and I, I don't know, like, I think this was naturally how it was going to go anyway, but like, I, I hope we did a good job of like, I, me was supposed to be like the bad guy on that show. And you guys were like my friends. And I think after the first episode when hung was like beating people up after that, we did a good job of like showing that I was like a bad guy in and of myself. And then you guys just had to like tolerate me. So I think that was a good, uh, <laughs> a good balance too. I wonder if that's ever been done again. That was pretty epic. Yeah. I wonder if that's been done again. I don't think they've done it. I don't think so. That's why I feel like it should be a reunion just of that show, just to get the people like in there and, and redo it. I think it'd be cool. And it'd be a good highlight just for our school during this type of time. You know what I'm saying? If we could come back and do it. I've yeah. said they should run that periodically on the BC network, like on the campus TV show thing. They should still run that. Why wouldn't you? I don't know if people would be able to deal with the uh, the video quality of the first episode. <laughs> That's true. Like, That's true. Like <laughs> but it got better after that. And yeah, I think it would be cool. And we'll, we should... Uh, Gotta get remastered. Gotta remaster yeah. that. Yeah. I still have the DVDs. That's like, I mean, uh, it's not as ancient as like the Coach Skinner VHS tapes. from <laughs> watching yeah, film, can, but. I, can I get those versus looking at uh, different parts on YouTube. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and then the other thing, I, just like another thing that just remind because this, I had forgotten about this, but too, I think what's going on now, the other thing that's interesting is again, like my, like my high school, Columbia High School in upstate New York, like I'm very proud I went there and I think I think since I've gone there I think it's gotten even I think it's gotten more diverse um but one thing that did happen in high school was like there were a couple of kids I think it was like a girl and a guy who one day came in with like a confederate flag or something like that and the school like school kicked them out so and we had i remember we had this like big assembly about it um and a lot of people spoke up and i remember again my a lot of my friends are on the basketball team with me like their parents like escorted them into school that day to make sure there was like no trouble and i i just remember how like sad that was but i think it, it was like an awful thing but i think it also when people do things that are like that bad i think it puts into perspective for me, like that I'm on the right path by wanting to do the right thing. Right. So I think that like, there's like a lot of learning along the way where people give me good lessons. And like we did in English class in, in high school, we read like the autobiography of Malcolm X. We read uncle Tom's cabin, like stuff like that. So you learn in like the positive way, but also like, again, the, like, what is this nonsense type of way too. Right. So, Hopefully that's, you know, there's a lot of factors going on now that will hopefully cause some change, but that hopefully there's both of those. Cause sometimes you do need both to like 
get people to, you know, not only change their minds, but like do something about it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I know we've gone pretty long, but just a couple more. I'll throw a couple more questions at you guys. Um, so cover bird. So I guess one, one, I'll toss one on Craig and then one bird. So Craig, one thing with the, obviously with um, George Floyd was in Minneapolis and you lived there because you played for the Timberwolves. Um, so I'd be curious to hear you know, what were your experiences living in Minneapolis and did you find it like different from other places you've lived both here or abroad? Cause I know you've lived abroad too. Yeah, my experience, it was cold. It was the coldest place I ever lived. And that's saying a lot from Boston, but it was way colder than Boston. So majority of the time, my ass was in a house, like for real. Cause bird, no, like, man, I ain't got time for that weather, bro. Like <laughs> for real, for real. And it's just like, I'm staying, like, I'm, I'm staying in a gated, uh, my gated garage. I'm going to drive my car to the gym, go inside. I'm not going to touch outside. And if I got to touch outside, I'm going to be outside for no longer than five seconds. Like, literally, I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to run in. But, I mean, I, I, I was all over. Um, I did a lot of community work within um, a, ho a, a homeless teen shelter. Um, where I got to see kind of the real side of Minneapolis, where I would do a lot, I would donate like bus tokens and stuff for the kids, you know, um, and go out and even like cook with the with the chef who was uh, kind of running that. So it was just like to, to see the inner city and to um, just to get a good feel. I mean, it's it was a it was a pretty good city and it was low key, but I mean, I've I've ran into the law a few times unnecessarily for no reason. Um, and they kind of fucked with me a little bit. So, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as, as any of the situations where people are dying, you know what I'm saying? So I, I have to give, um, not credit, but it's just, it didn't get, it didn't have, it didn't get as bad. That's just all. And the city's nice. There's a lot of nice people. It's a, it's a it's a lot of uh, different cultures out there, which people think is just a bunch of uh, white people. It's just really not. Um, you have a big Ethiopian population. Um, the black community is real strong out there. As I used to, um, you know, I would see Troy at sometimes because Troy lived out there in the summertime. So sometimes, Barry would come up in the summertime and give me a cut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that was cool. Um, the night scene when we were out, I mean, we ain't really, I ain't really had nobody bother us or affect us. And we were young, just having fun. And I mean, all I can remember is pretty good memories. Um, and having guys like Prince come to our games and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? I know there was still tension there, obviously, and there was always going to be, be tension because, I mean, that's just kind of the story or the outcome of, of our lives being this color. But um, at the same time, when, you, when you're a professional, sometimes you don't, you don't get to see some of the things that are happening or, or be a part of that because it's just like you're in a different category almost. Everybody sees for you to be different. Just like um, one perfect example I can always say was when you, when you see, uh, I don't know if you've seen Do the Right Thing, Farnan, but there's, um, there's a scene where 
Um, Spike Lee's talking to the owner of the pizza shop and they're just talking about, you know, black people in general. And he goes, uh, who's your favorite basketball player? And he goes, Magic Johnson. He's like, you know, Magic Johnson's black. It's like, Magic Johnson's not black. <laughs> so it's just like in that mind space, like, I don't know what you think he's, he's not, but I mean, just because he's a basketball player, he gets put in a different category. So I know that that happens to us a lot. We get glorified and stuff like that um, to where we don't see or we don't always be in a situation how our other brothers and sisters are when they could just be going home from the store and a policeman can pull up on them and say, hey, you look like this suspect and arrest them and put them in jail or even kill them. So, I mean, it's just, it's just really... I hate to see stuff like that. And I mean, that stuff, like, it really, really made me mad and beneath my core because it, it just feels like enough is enough with this this type of hatred. But I mean, we, we have to put a voice on it. And I feel like some things were necessary because people don't understand that we've been fighting this battle for many, many years, our ancestors before us. And to now, it's just gone out of hand and now we feel like we we have no other choice but to continue to protest and and do some other things like i don't condone looting or anything like that but you know to be out in protest past you know 12 a.m sometimes is necessary because it's, it's really a time for a change in that department and if we're going to evolve as as a country like we have to do something with this and we have to have those people get called out I'd rather have those, I'd rather have all races get called out so we know that they racist so they can go stay in their own little bubble, but we know. Sometimes we just don't know because people want to mask it, you know? So, but my, my experience in, in Minneapolis was, was good. The people were good. I tried to make sure I did things within the community because I know that's just a big thing for, for kids to see a, a face like myself you know, so it gives them hope that they can achieve things that they want to do, whatever they put their mind to. So um, it's just, it's, it's cold out there. It's cold out there. But, yeah. um, but it's love, but it's love, but it's, it's also shit like that that happens out there where, you know, people can be really, really unfair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Bird, for you, I know both of you guys have lived abroad, but I know Bird, you lived in multiple countries abroad um, when you were playing professionally. So mm -hmm. curious to hear kind of your experience of like comparing, contrasting like experiences you've had here in the US versus there in terms of like whether it be with people in general, um, with law enforcement, with just like how the culture is to anyone who's different than because I remember some of the countries you live in it's like a lot of people that look exactly like me a lot of that Scandinavian look yeah. um so <laughs> but but I'm curious to like hear your experiences there and how they compare and contrast yeah I, I mean I think in in every society there's an there's an oppressed group of people um and and most societies is, is black people um but in Europe, it was they were really. I, I really disliked the treatment of gypsies. Um, you know, in a gypsy, I think I think they stem from Romania, um, but you know they float around to different countries, and I just didn't like it. Like you know, it kind of reminded me of 
like before you get to know these guys and you know some of my teammates you were already standoffish or you already had it in your mind that this guy's gonna try to steal from you or something like that um so i i noticed that immediately because you know some of the same stuff that people were doing i'm like people back home would do that to me you know before i got to a certain you know a certain p position or status where now my clothes in my car doesn't it, it makes you it puts you at ease oh he's dressed like this he, he drives that like he one of the good guys right so but when i was younger and i didn't necessarily have those kind of clothes or you know i didn't have a nice car or I, you know there'll be days where you know my hair i i can't afford to get a haircut every week you know and, and stuff like that like i can now so you know, at, at times I look different. Maybe I look like a threat to you. Um, but in Europe, I would say, again, I, I try to go back to classism. Um, you know, in a lot of the places I was, um, you know, I'm probably one of the more wealthy people in the city. So no one's looking down on me. Like, you know, um, and, and again, that's not a feather in my cap, it's more to people that you'll treat someone differently based on what they make or what they do. Um, and like I said, and, and no matter where you are, um, you know, there's, there's an oppressed group of people and, and, and it happens everywhere. You know, you, you stem from Europe, even most, you know, basically the country that we are, the Western migration, like, you know, they came from, they'll let you tell it, they, they, you know, discovered America, but people were already here. So you can't discover something that was already here. And they came, you know, same people. They came with that ideology um, that they have now in the States as far as this group of people are indentured servants or slaves or whatever you want to call it. Where'd you think they got that from? They didn't just get to America and start that. Like, that was something that they were doing before that. You know, the slave trade, and, you know, the mid-Atlantic slave trade, which travels from Africa through Europe to America. So, um, you know, like I said, it's no matter where you go, there's an oppressed group of people. Was it, did I feel that way? No, but I, like you said, in some Scandinavian countries, this was the, my second year and it was crazy. You know, this is a story. I think I did tell Craig this story, but it was my first day in Finland. It was like, it, like the team had already been there. I literally get off the plane. It's probably two, 3 PM. Team practice is done. They've already practiced for the day. But the guys come and get me, and you know how it is, Craig. Like, I'm trying to be on my best behavior. So the guys come to my house. Listen, man, team's going out. I'm like, listen, man, I just got here. You know, I think it's a bad look. You know, if I go out, I haven't even practiced yet. They like, look, the captains, everything. They called the coach. Listen, team bonding, yada, yada, yada. Like, he needs to come out. Okay, cool. I'm going out. Like, I'm all with the team. You, you guys know me. Like, I'm all about the team. Um, so I go out. I mean, they party like crazy out there. So it's getting 3, 4 in the morning. I'm like, yo, this is my first night. Like, I'm jet lagged, everything. I'm going to go ahead head home. And as I'm walking to my car, like, now I'm walking by myself because, you know, I, I walk away from the team. And a guy walks up to me and goes, and again, I think this is all ignorance. I honestly don't think he meant any ill will by it, but they're not as educated on race as we are over here. So he walks up to me, what's up, my nigga? 
you know, and I'm like, I'm not your nigga. Like, I don't put my, I didn't put my hand up at all. I said, look, I'm not your nigga. Like that. And he said, what? Like, literally, I know Puff Daddy. I know Snoop Dogg. Like that. That was his, you know, response. It's like, that's supposed to make us boys. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, man, go ahead. Go ahead about your business, man. So I get in my car and he kicks my car. And over there, you drive stick shifts. So my joints, boom, boom, like it just, because I, I left my, I took my foot off the, off the brake and the clutch. And I'm like, boom, it just stopped in the middle of the street. I hop out the car. This is my first day there. And I beat his ass. Like his girl runs up. This was the first time I had ever been called a nigga to my face. Like, even when I got back home, like I am shaking. Like, yeah. I'm like shaking, shaking. Like I'm about to go back outside. Like, fuck this team. Like, if they send me home, I don't even care. You know, this this was the first time it had ever happened to me. Like I had heard, I was expecting it when I got to Boston. Like, because all the t- every everything everybody had told me was they races in Boston. Like, be prepared for it. Okay, I'm prepared for it. I wasn't expecting it my first day on the team. You know, it wasn't somebody on the team. It was just some random guy in the street. Um, so, like, like I said, that was my first time. And I always said in my mind, like, if that happens, like, people are ignorant, you know, brush it off, keep it moving. And I couldn't brush it off. Like, I couldn't. Um, like, my instant reaction was just to go. And... And I went and, you know, put my career in jeopardy, you know, and everything. I didn't end up getting in trouble because I got a body of it. But, um, yeah, like, you know, that stuff does happen. And that was the only time I feel like, and, and I would say this, like, there are some, been some other occasions where my teammates have used nigga just because they don't know. Like, you know, um, one of my boys, like, he was a foreigner, he, Hungarian center, like, he's like Craig size. Like, he was my boy. Um he used it as a term for the enemy, you know? So when another team came to the club, he come to me, he ain't even talking about a black person. I don't fuck with that nigga. Wait, what? They, don't, they shouldn't be here, this is our town. I'm like, wait, you can't say that. Yeah. Why not? Like he, he didn't understand, cause he's like, me and you are boys. Yeah. Not, why can't I say it, you know? Like he wants to go fight these dudes. Like man, him about to go. Like I'm like, nah, you can't talk like that. And I ended up having to walk him out the club so you can hear better. Like, yeah, this is why you can't say that. Like, man, you cool. And again, through these shared experiences, I know that you just don't know. Next year, you may have a different teammate that you guys don't have that same experience, and yeah. he hang on you. You know. Um, so again. I think most of Europe, they're just not as educated as um, as we are on race. They they haven't gone through the same things like like slavery. Some slavery happened, but the slave trade did not happen in Europe. You know what I mean? So they don't they don't view it the same way. Like even some of the things that we find offensive, the monkey thing, all that. Like they say that they just say that. They just say. You know what I mean? They don't. They don't know the, the the history behind that and the hurtful and hurtfulness behind it. Nor do they view it that way. And that's also you got to understand different perspectives. Like I could I could have just went off on the deep end on him, or understand that he doesn't come from the same culture that I come from. Like those words don't mean the same thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 
sad, um, but interesting. And yeah, I, I mean, you guys know we, we mess around a lot, but that's, I, I don't use that word. If anything, I'm more like, hello, kind sirs. When <laughs> 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 well, I was younger, for sure. Now it's, now it's whatever. But um, yeah, no, that's, it, it is interesting to have that perspective. Um, so we've been going for a while here. So just two last questions for you guys, important ones, but feel free to answer in short terms if, if, if uh, you have a clear idea on this. But one is, given what's going on right now, um, what, like, in, in absence of everything getting magically better overnight, if in, say, like, the next three months there could be, like, one law or policy or change that could happen, what would it be? Uh, I had two, if you don't mind. Um, and one, I, I actually discussed this with my group, my circle, and I was wondering what they thought about it. And one of the answers I got from my brother, who's actually, like I said, he's a sheriff. Um, he feels that we need to either do away with citizens' arrest or uh, figure out a better way um, and put some stipulations on it because you got to put yourself in the body of a civilian who's approached for a, civil, for, for a citizen's arrest. Like, who are you? And you're approaching me like, you know, you take the uh, Ahmaud Arbery situation. If these guys were trying to do a citizen arrest, you don't approach me with no shotgun. Like, you know, I, who, like, you don't have a badge. So I, I, I'm not respecting that. I'm, my life is in danger as soon as I see a civilian with a gun talking to me. You know, so that the whole, I can be a citizen's arrest. No, you, if anything goes wrong in a citizen arrest, that citizen needs to be punished for that. Call the police. Like if you, if you see someone or you feel like someone's committing a crime, don't put on your cape. Like call someone to, to handle that who's paid to do this because you approaching them as a citizen, I'm not respecting that, you know? Um, the next thing that personally that I felt for a long time, and I wonder if it's like this in LA communities, um, Craig was like my neighbor, well, Craig came to the house that I moved to when I got to college. And remember my, my family had moved and me and you kind of stayed in, when you came to my house, we kind of stayed in like an abandoned type place one night because yeah. old house, um, you know, and I had actually grew up up the street in the apartment buildings. Um, but one of the things that it made me think of through all of this stuff was that I don't know. I've lived there for 20 years. Like my junior year in college is when we moved from that house. My mom got remarried. And so that's 20 years I spent in that neighborhood. I don't know a cop that patrols that neighborhood or a cop doesn't know me that so that let's say something did pop up on the radar. Oh, in Oxford Hill, Maryland, something's going on. When you hop out, maybe somebody could say, oh, that's Bert. He plays at Boston College. He's not doing none of that. Move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or let's say that the community, there is something going on in the community because that's always going to happen. There's going to be young kids who don't quite understand or maybe somewhat disrespectful, you know, no malice, but there's older guys in the neighborhood that you can go talk to. Listen, man, I'm just trying to get these guys to clear up. It's a lady upstairs who's complaining. Can you get these guys off the front? 
Then one of the old heads said, hey, man, y'all move. Go around back or y'all, you know what I'm saying? They telling y'all to move, move. Versus you coming in here. Nobody knows you. And you're flexing your badge, your, your gun, this, that, that, that never goes well. So in my opinion, I think more policemen that's from a specific community mm-hmm. need to have some say in that community. Don't ship somebody here who lives an hour from me who has no heart or not necessarily that he has no heart, but no empathy for me because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know anybody in his community. He has no ties to this community. So if he does so happen to slip up, kill somebody, yeah, it may hurt his conscience because he did that, but he's not feeling sorry for the community. You know, like he, he doesn't know who he just took from this community. You know, let's say that's me, you know, and not to toot my own horn, but at a certain point in my life, I was the, the light in the community. You know, that's Bird. Like, he got out of here. He's in college. We can watch him on ESPN Tuesdays, Fridays, or Sundays. You know? And from that, there's other guys, you know, that I can name. The Corey Almonds, the Raymond Brewers, like, who, I'm sorry, Ray Gatlins, who wanted to be Bird. And then they went to school, you know, and, and got out of that situation. So I do think that people from the communities or near, at least nearby, need to be policing their communities because they know how to interact. And in that way, you know, let's say I'm from L.A. Like I said, I become a police. I'm 6'4". Six, 6'7", six, Craig or 6'8", Craig doesn't, I'm not scared of Craig, you know, versus if a white man walks up and he sees Craig. Yeah. And, and that was the call, like, yeah, you know, it could have been anything. There are some people outside that's just hanging outside. Like, now that's a crime, like, to, to be outside. Um, and he has to approach Craig. You don't think he's, like, approaching him with his hand on his gun? You know, just in case this big dude is, is aggressive? You know, so, like I said, versus somebody who's from the community that's like, man, that's Craig. He plays at Boston College. He plays for the Timberwolves. He plays for the Trailblazers. Like, you're immediately going, like, he's 6'8", and, like, he way bigger than me. Ain't no telling if he gets his hands on me. So you you going for the equalizer, which is your gun. That's, that's so true, Bird. That goes on all around this country, dude, because it's just, like, you have guys who live out in Simi Valley and they work in South Central or Compton, and they have no idea, no social skills, to be able to have understanding of what's going on, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have because you put these guys in these uncharted territories where they have no experience, didn't grow up with somebody that looks like them or anything like that. So you're automatically put in a mindset of of fear. Like these dudes may come out and harm me or try to kill me when all they trying to do is go to the lit, go to the store, the corner store get something to drink, some food, come back and play this game that they may be playing or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So definitely, Bird, like, that's big. And I just feel like if it's something that had changed, I feel like they have to do something better with the resources for that in a situation where you you can use that money into the neighborhood to find out people like that, to be not necessarily a snitch or anything like that, but a person that understands this area. Like, that has to be in there. If you're trying to be a police officer, which areas are you more comfortable with? Which areas do you feel like you can really solve problems versus trying to go out and, and, and kill people? You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's 
a big difference. Let's see. Not not only that, man, it's just like there needs to be things put in place in in our areas where there can be better help of maybe some some um some therapy. You know what I'm saying? Cuz I feel like the community has been in been frustrated for many many years of having to deal with police like that you know what i'm saying like there needs to be ways that people can go and maybe have talks you know what i'm saying so there can be some type of understanding now what a, a, a therapist can do with that is you can share some things inside with the police to have an understanding of what the community goes through you know what i'm saying that can be one outlet and like you said the, the more you know the better so you might as well start quizzing me and teaching the police how to be better and have better understanding of people and not thinking of everybody as a robber or a target especially if they look a certain way you know what i'm saying but i feel like with like a lot of laws have to change like it's a systematic oppression it's certain things put in place so so uh, african-american um or many other different cultures can't come out and win necessarily especially in a black community you know what i'm saying when you're trying to come out and get a loan and maybe you're a really good person and you can't even get that loan like they're, they're and sorry craig just to jump in you got to think about think about black schools think about cops in, in black neighborhoods think about any industry that's you know also available in in the african-american or low-income communities if i'm a cop i go through my training academy or i become a teacher i go through my training and, and all this type of stuff now i'm certified where's your starting point where do you get your feet wet at they send you to blacks yeah. you know the low-income schools yeah. cop you get an inexperienced cop in a, in a in a in a neighborhood that may be of more violence you know and stuff like that so yeah you know without without no without any experience or without um no relationships yeah like you like my partner is my gun you know like I, that's that's how you're going even with the teachers like we can talk about lack of education all you want but the salary in of teachers in the impoverished neighborhoods versus that of like you said you go out to wherever private schools yeah. it's just different so in 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 old saying you get what you pay for so on one end don't you know for our politicians i don't don't keep on reading these stats about the yeah. test scores and education level if you're gonna keep sending these type of teachers into the community gotta make that change gotta be put money into those schools and to into those neighborhoods so if you do that then there won't be there'll be less issues because if everybody eating ain't nobody gonna go hungry like that you know what i'm saying you'll have a better opportunity at everybody trying to do the right thing versus going out and being like look i'm hungry i need to I need to figure out how i'm gonna eat So yeah. if you do put more money in those areas, like you probably you'll be better off. You'd be way better off. Like like anything. What's I'm, I'm sorry, this thing is slipping my mind. The the Cali, the Valley where they do all the IT, all the apps. Silicon Valley. 
Silicon yeah. Valley, right? Um, you invest money up there, and and they're producing more techies, right? Like it's like never before. You're getting people involved, even NBA players. Like people are getting into it, right? Um, because that's where they put the money into. So, in our communities, if you put money into it, you'll see you'll see it grow. You know, but the things that we put money into, think about LA, think about Washington D.C. When they talk about the two hotbeds of basketball and sports and entertainers. You talking, I'm going to get kids from DC. I'm going to get kids from LA, Cali. Because they put money into basketball, AAU, all this type of stuff. It ain't no secret why these two, these two pockets are producing at the rate that they're producing. You know, because the money's into it. You got the best programs, Compton Magic, Team Takeover. Those are the best AAU programs in the country. Compton Magic, California. Team Takeover, D.C. You want to know who won the EYBL the last five years? Them two. They just keep beating each other. So it's where you put the resources at, you know? And, and when I was growing up, like, like I said, like, it was about basketball. There was always a team I could get on. There was somebody will get me there. They'll come up with a bus or something to make sure we get there. Yeah. If, some, if, if we need the community to get out and vote, how they getting there? You know, and it's yeah. and it's and it's about not only about just voting, but when do you need to vote too? You know what I'm saying? Like everybody who don't really know about voting, sometimes you just think about the president, the vice the president, president, and like not the city council, not the people changing the laws, different things like that. That's where I feel like we have to educate more on that because if, if we can do that, then I, I feel like things will really can go and and go in the right way. If we able to vote on the right things and the right laws, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's just stuff out there that we don't know and we not voting for. And they always, how did, when did this become a law, you know? And we're just sitting here like, Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought we went off. But um, people are just like, oh, when did this happen? Versus being like, I can change that. Right. We can change this. It doesn't have to be like this. It can be different. So I think we have to, um, it's all about educating, resource, putting your money in there, but also giving them the, the knowledge to know that they have the power to change things. Everybody comes together. We have the power to change things. I think. Sorry, Farn. I know you're trying to get out of here, but um, all good. Like, um, like, like, just piggybacking on what Craig just said. Like, even me. Like, growing up, I just thought this come with it. Like, this just comes with the territory, you know. And until I got to school, Boston College, and around some other people from some other walks of life, to be like. That's when I got the confidence to be like, yo, Mr. Officer, you can't talk to me like that. Like, I know my rights. I know, you know what I mean? This, that, and the third. When I was younger, you just say whatever you want to me. He could throw me on the ground. You know, I wouldn't even go tell my mom. You know, like, it just comes with it. It's just part of the territory. Um, but I think, through, like I said, through experiences, through, you know, at a younger age, like, 
everyone's not going to be fortunate enough to go to college. We know that. But why, why aren't there community, why aren't there programs within these communities to still get them outside of the community, see some other things? You know what I mean? Why does it, why does it have to be this that I see every single day of my life? And this is, we know people that ain't never left their communities, you know, and that's all that they know that it is, you know, um, I got an older brother. He won't, he will not get on a plane. Like, I'm like, Hey, it's on me. Let's go to Miami. Everybody going to Miami. It's on me. No. Can you give me a bus ticket? Like, you know, just things like that. And for me, I hadn't got on a plane until my college visit. So if I had not been exposed to that, no planes for me either. You know, so we need to think outside the box, especially these community centers. Um, yes, we got athletes. You know, we know that. Great. We got sports leagues, summer leagues, fall leagues, winter leagues. We got leagues forever, you know, um, but they need something else. They need to get involved in the arts. They need ask these kids what what else they want to do you know um and and that's that's my main thing and i don't have all the answers but with my guys especially the guys that i know have potential to be pros i get them early when all right you come home you got thirty thousand dollars in the bank what we doing you know you got 40 50 grand in the bank what we doing how are we using that because i'll be honest with you i can say this now and i think farnett ended up calling me what was it you that ended up calling me after my first year um, I smoked that first check. I blew through that. <laughs> I think I yelled at both of you about your first year, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah. I never had nothing. I ain't never had no money that was mine other than the Pell Grant that we got at school. <laughs> Which we thought you know, that was a lot. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and then now I can do whatever. Like, oh, Craig, come out to Cali. Bet. I'll be there tomorrow. Like, you know, it was like that. And, um, but like I said, we never had anything. So, you know, you just figuring it out on the fly. Sure. And and just to go back on the on the point of we got a lot of diamonds in the rough. You know what I'm saying? That always makes something out of nothing. What if we actually got the right resources, then what? I think it just blows up. Cause you think about it, a lot of people like Myself, Burr, we come out of situations where we ain't had nothing and we make something out of it. So just imagine if we had the proper resources, what that looks like. And that's why I think we should push so, we are pushing so hard for that because we know if the kids get the right resources, oh, they're really gonna take off. They're really gonna, they're really gonna be great. You know what I'm saying? They really are gonna have an opportunity to do a bunch of special things. And I, and I think it just comes from guys like us who've been in this situation and we had, we didn't have all the resources, but we got some and look how they took off. Right. Look at the positions we in because of it. You know what I'm saying? So that's why we feel like there needs to definitely be more resources for those diamonds in the rough, because by having more, we have tons, millions, millions of creative kids who are looking for things but aren't able to find them because of where they live. Or, or you feel like the other thing that you into is impossible. Yep. Like I remember I had, I had a huge fetish for designing shoes. Like I just knew like that's what, you know, basketball didn't work out. I was going to be creating shoes, but who is there to show me where to go? Who's the guy I talk to, to 
get my shoe ideas out there. You know, there, you know, there's nobody that could put me or, or even just get me direction, fashion school, anything. Send me anywhere. Like where I can get these ideas out. Um, but those, those, those things just weren't there. So, you know, the majority of the guys and, and, and a lot of times we get, you know, one of the, one of the memes I love, I don't love it, but I think it's, it hits home is, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it says they, they take our dads away from us and then they make fun of us for not having one. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And then I, I look at the same thing, like you give me no resources, but you'll make fun of our community for wanting to be rappers and ball players and they, what that that for me at that time like that's the only way I knew how to get out of it. Yeah. You know, if I can play and be better than the rest of the guys around here, I could go somewhere. You know, I could get up out of here. Um and that that's that's the mindset and that's why people put they're all into it. And then even when it comes to the classroom, look, at the end of the day, I understand how things work. And I've been, when you talk systematic, systemic or systematic um, racism, I've been a victim. And I'll get to that story in a second. But it is real. Um, but, you know, as far as like what, what we have in the community, it's, it's not set up for, you know, us to make it. And, and, and even if you're in a state or a county, What's wrong with saying, hey, everybody in the county's budget is the same? Why isn't it like that? We all from, we're not that far. Even if you live a little further out and it's a little nicer, you know, I'm okay with, you know, it's a rich parent out there that wants to donate to that specific school, but don't make their budget higher than mine. You know, they get computers, laptops, you know, iPads, and we're getting their hand-me-down books. That's what we're getting. You know, we, we don't have that stuff. That, that really makes no sense. And as far as it being systemic, it's definitely systemic. I was a witness of it, it at a point where I'm like, man, people overdo the race thing. I don't see all of that. Until one day I got a, a letter in the mail that says you have to appear in court. I'm like, appear in court for what? I called a number back and it says SunTrust Bank has, they racially profiled you when you bought your house. They raised your they raised your interest rate based on your ethnicity and where you wanted to live. I'm like, what? So all these years I've been paying way more than my credit says I should be paying, but because I'm black, they threw some extra on it. Like, and I, you know, I didn't even have to say much other than, yeah, I signed a mortgage with SunTrust Bank, but I won and I got a check out of it. But, I'm like, damn, it can't get more systemic than that. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't know that. I think, yeah, I think that speaks for itself. Um, thanks, guys, for sharing all that stuff. I want to, I do want to end, because uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking again about this. And again, there's plenty of things that the three of us can talk about at any time. But um, just to end briefly, um, what is something that gives you hope right now and what needs to happen coming from people of all races from everywhere to you think make that happen? I think what gives 
give me hope. And I know Bird probably feels the same way as well as seeing people who don't look like us have our backs because it's been going on for so long. And, and what more can we say without somebody that doesn't look like us, who sees that, who can be that voice for us. And I feel like that been seeing that over the last few weeks, it's been really, really encouraging because we need everybody. If we're going to be able to come together and beat racism and systematic oppression, we got to do it together. Because some, it's, sometimes it's just bigger than race. And in this situation, it has, some, it has to do with poor people, just like what Bird was saying. You got some, some white people who are out there fighting, and they getting their ass whooped too. You know? So you know, it's systematic. And not only that, it's it's just profiling. And it's just like enough is enough. I'm tired of seeing that and hearing about this this negative, nasty history that's been going on for over 400 years. It's just, we're just sick and tired of it. So it's just about seeing those faces. And for me, seeing all those people in Hollywood, man, that was something beautiful to see. Unfortunately, because we got something else going on, but this is a bigger issue. This is, has been a big, a, a big ass issue for a long ass time. And I think it's, it's finally time to, to end this, but it's not going to happen over these two weeks overnight. You know, it's going to be a continued battle, but as long as we can stay united and together, I, I definitely think this, we shall overcome this for once and for all. Yep. Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm, I get the most hope from seeing not just black, white, I'm seeing Asian, I'm seeing straight, I'm seeing gay, I'm yeah. seeing everyone out there. And, you know, like I said, it's a class thing. Like, you know, the police got no problem brutalizing any of y'all down there. You know, I mean, some people get it more than others, but, I mean, we seen a 75-year-old man get knocked to the ground, blood coming out of his ears, and they yeah. stay over. Yeah. White guy. Um, so that's what that's what gives me hope is that everyone's kind of coming together and people are are seeing it, um, and then also everyone has had a movement and now we're getting ours. You know, there's been the, the heterosexual white man has had his movement since the beginning of time. The world's always been his, um, but you know, you, you had the Me Too movement, LGBTQ, you yeah. know. They, they had their, they're having their movement. Like I said, the Me Too movement is currently going on. So all these things, all these social just, uh, social injustices and things like that. And I had always sat back and was like, are we just not going to address the elephant in a room? <laughs> like, we're sitting right here. Like, when, when is, you know, uh, we get to speak up. And I think now, um, you know, honestly, this is over the last two weeks, and I got recently over like a staff call i got really emotional um when the topic came up because it had hit me that this was the first time anybody has ever asked me how i feel about racism and like what you go through like in i'm 36 years old it happens every day and this was the first time somebody was like and i could just completely my emotions like soon as the question got asked like before i could say anything it was like tears start coming out like no one had ever asked me. And like I said, so much stuff you bottle up, especially in our community, um, you know, being black men, because you don't want to come off as soft, you know, um, and all that kind of stuff. That's just how, how it works. So you just bottle that stuff up and you keep it moving. Um, 
Next, I think like, you know, the, and this is gonna, I say this in the most positive way, but I think we can, we need to continue to micromanage our communities. And I say that meaning keep giving people tasks to, to like complete, because this was more so just a perfect storm in my opinion. Corona, everyone's sitting at home. Like we know what's gonna happen once jobs open back up and people get back in that rat race and they're at work nine to five and all they wanna do is just getting home. Those marches gonna get a whole lot smaller. Yeah. Right? But people do want things to do um, and they do want ways to help, but not everyone's individually motivated like maybe we were. Or not, you know what I mean? Like for you to get to a Google level, like you gotta be motivated. For you to be a pro, get to the NBA, you gotta be motivated. And you know, a lot of people aren't, so they need people to tell them, look, this is the next thing we're doing. I need everybody to come out on Saturday. We're going to do this, that, and the third. And they'll jump in versus just allowing people to go through their daily lives. Because like I said, I didn't feel like there were some things I wanted to do that I just didn't know how to do. Like I didn't, no one gave me the resources to do so. So same with these people. People want to make change. People are tired. People are fed up, you know, but alone, they don't know how to, and neither do I. But I do know if I could get on with my brother Craig, if I could get on with my brother Farnan. Farnan's got connections that I probably will never have. Craig's got some connections that I probably will never have. And, and vice versa. Vice versa. Through, through these conversations, and you know, hopefully we can continue this. I already know this is going to go places. And we'll get to talking to different people who want to help us. And you know, you know want to help the people in our communities. And um, but we just keep having these conversations and, and, and get ready to act on them. That's what I think is huge about this generation. This generation is ready to act. They ready to go. Um, you know, but like I said, some of it was the perfect storm of like, what is the chances of all this happening at the same time? You know, people say 2020 is a wash. I say 2020 is exactly what it's supposed to be. An awakening. It's, it's an awakening. Things had to hit the fan before we could address. It had to get this bad before social injustice and police brutality and just inequalities amongst black people got addressed. It had to get this bad, you know, and without the looting and all of that, I, I honestly don't think we address it, you know? So some of that stuff does have a, a, an effect because look at the man in office. We know he only respects the dollar. So if, if his money's getting hurt, oh, now we got to address some things. Oh, now, you know, they talking about body cams. Oh, now the chokehold move is illegal in, in police department. But, it, you know, we didn't know that when Eric Garner, you choked him out and he died. Like, you know, that common sense don't kick in. But now it's hurting your money. Chokehold's illegal now. You know, so things are starting to happen just from communities coming together. And that's what I have hope for. That's what I'm excited about. I've had, like I said, those same people that we talked about at the beginning, people that I know in law enforcement, they're reaching out to me. Hey, man, I need you to get some people in the community riled up. We want to let them know that it's good cops. Let's get a, a directory of good cops. Hey, you get yourself in a situation and you feel uncomfortable, call these guys. We'll show up and just make sure that it goes how it's supposed to go. You know, just stuff like that. And, you know, I'm excited to try to help in my community and anybody else's community that, you know, I can help or feel like I can help. Or even if it's just standing with you, like, I don't care. Like, whatever we can do, I'm ready. So... Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, yeah. bro. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, guys. That was incredible context. And the last thing I'll say is just I think 
hopefully more people will realize too that we don't live in like a zero sum world because i think some people are just afraid of like oh if you know things get better for black people it gets worse for me right and that's not true we live in a global economy we live in a world that things can get better and we have a lot of challenges where everybody can get better at the same time right and it's 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 a human decency thing too so hopefully this you know as you said, Bert, I think hopefully 2020 can wind up being exactly what it what it should be, and um, things can really change. And um, I know I'm sure the three of us will talk, but thank you to both you guys for for joining and sharing your experiences. And um, as you know, I love you guys, and and hopefully people can consume this and, and learn something and engage with with any of us about it going forward. Yeah, thanks, Farin, and. You know, I was about to say, like, well, I want to say thank you just for always being you, like, exactly who you are. And I almost called you an ally, but I saw something that made me think about that word, and I don't even agree with it anymore. Um, because when I think of, like, who's an ally, right, you think of these other countries, like, they're not here with us. You know, they're just saying, like, yeah, I'm on your side. I'm not going to do anything to you, you know. But for you, like, I gotta figure out another word. Like you've been there with us. Like I know, you know, through different things. Like if something was to happen at Boston College and there was us three walking, like Fawn is going down right along with us. So, um, you know, like to me, you know, we use the term brother. You know, like that, I mean, that's just the simplest term that I could use. Like you guys are like my brothers, um, and hopefully, this is the beginning of a huge podcast. <laughs> Yeah, Farnett, man, I really appreciate you, man. And um, just just by reaching out initially, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that was that was cool and that was kind and it just shows the type of person that you are. We've had a real, real good friendship and we've only gotten closer after we got out, out of school, you know what I'm saying? So I love you. You are a brother of ours. I appreciate you. And Barry, you're right. This is the beginning of a very nice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Right. Love you, Bird. <laughs> Love you, Farnham, man. Love you guys, bro, man. man. Love y'all. Love you guys. Love you guys. All right.